Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. Well, it is still the new year. This is our second episode of the new year, and we decided to do a new movie. In fact, I think this one just came out, what, weeks ago? Something like that. This is a new movie on Netflix that a lot of people have been talking about. It's called Leave the World Behind. It's directed by... (laughs) Sam Esmail, we were just talking before the recording about how it was, for some reason, impossible for us to remember the title of this movie. We are joined today, once again, by Craig's sister, Kristen. Say hello to the people, Kristen. Hey, it's good to be back. Whose idea was this? Well, (laughs) I guess it was kind of Kristen's. It's just funny that you said people are talking about it because... (laughs) <laughs> Kristen has been trying to get me to watch this movie for a week. She's like, have you watched it yet? Have you watched it yet? Because <laughs> I want to talk about it. And uh, I said, well, I mean, it sounds interesting. She's like, you could do the podcast. You could do it for the podcast. Oh. I was like, well, is, is it horror? And, she, and I said, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. So she like, real quick, IMDb'd it and Indeed, it is marked as, uh, what is it? It's not just horror. It's like It's a horror drama. Horror, horror drama. Horror drama. That's right. Uh, Wikipedia calls it an American apocalyptic psychological thriller film. I suppose. I think it qualifies. We've done other movies like this before. so I think it definitely qualifies, if for no other reason. I was genuinely, like, on the edge of my seat with anxiety for... A large part of this movie. Right. (laughs) Waiting for something to happen. (laughs) I was more affected in that way by this movie than most of the traditional horror movies that we've watched and talked about. So I I, I definitely think it counts. I never thought we'd see the day where we were reviewing a Julia Roberts movie. (laughs) Right. Man, if she go if she passes, we've already used up the potential horror movie that we oh. <laughs> she could be in, I think. <laughs> I, I think she's good. I, I, I think our expiration date comes far before hers. I'm not wishing <laughs> I'm not wishing any doom on Julia Roberts, but Julia Roberts, this is our tribute episode to you. <laughs> yeah. In advance. Oh man. I, I, yeah, I don't know great. about you, Todd, but I feel pretty safe in saying that Kristen and I are both big Julia Roberts fans. <laughs> big. Huge. Since when? Since when? Oh, since we were little tiny kids watching a movie about prostitutes. <laughs> Which we all saw when we were kids, and now our parents are appalled. <laughs> oh my god. It was the most beautiful fairy tale of all. <laughs> Gets a lot of criticism nowadays, actually, doesn't it? Uh, what doesn't? Baloney. <laughs> Not for you guys. <laughs> no. Fantastic movie. I love Julia Roberts. I think she's a very talented actress. Uh, and I think that she puts that on display here, yeah. even though she's kind of a bitch. But like, mm. She's a huge bitch. That's a problem I had right from the beginning. I was like, oh, Julia, I don't <laughs> like you. Well, the movie starts. The movie opens in their in all blue Monica's apartment in New York. Yeah. (laughs) And she's just like, okay, so she's married to Ethan Hawke. I I, I won't remember what their real names are, but yeah. Okay. I wrote them down because I had already watched the whole movie and had no idea what anyone's names were. Uh, But Ethan Hawke is Clay and she is Amanda. Yeah. Are those names ever even uttered? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm sure they they are because they introduce themselves to a couple of people. Oh, that's right. One of the things that I love about this movie, and I didn't take any notes. This is the first time ever in the history of the podcast I didn't take any notes. But we talked last week about the trials and tribulations of taking notes. um, And I decided I was just going to sit and enjoy this movie. And as it turns out, it worked out because there's not a gaggle of characters to keep up with. Nor a massively intricate plot or anything like that. No, it's it's relatively simple. Tons of stuff happens and it's long. It's two and a half hours long, but I didn't have any problem keeping up with it. But it opens up with Julia Roberts just standing in a window and Ethan Hawke wakes up and she's like, oh, um, I just decided that we're going to go on vacation. He's like, oh, really? When? Today. And I've already got everything packed and I uh, already got like an Airbnb by the beach and we're going. And he's like, well, why? And she's like, well, When I couldn't fall back asleep this morning, I came over here to watch the sunrise. And I saw all these people 
starting their day with such tenacity, such verve, all in an effort to make something of themselves, make something of our world. I felt so lucky to be a part of that. But then I remembered what the world is actually like. And I came to a more accurate realization. I fucking hate people. <laughs> That's the opening of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going on vacation. It's interesting because even in that opening and when she says that line, there's a zoom move. That that really struck me. You don't usually see zoom moves in modern movies. We've called them out on occasion. I don't occasion. know what that means. When, when instead of like dollying the camera in, you just, like you've got your camcorder, you push the zoom button, you just, gotcha. just turn the lens to, to kind of blow up the picture and get closer to that person. It's, it's definitely an, a different aesthetic. It looks different. You can kind of tell if you put the two together. Instead of things kind of moving by the camera as you're passing by them or the, the perspective changing, it, it just looks like you're blowing up the image in a way. And uh, that was a big technique that they used in the 70s. I think probably when, when they were trying to be edgy and do things new and zoom lenses were kind of a thing. And now you'd never see it. Mo- well, you rarely obviously see it in movies. You see it in this one. Uh, and so, you know, it's a very stylistic choice. And one thing I really liked about this movie is it was very stylistic, but not in a... It's- Go on. It's hugely stylistic, and that's, like, I watched first time, and that's why I kept calling Craig, like, have you watched it yet? Have you watched it yet? I can't figure this movie out. There was so much, when I rewatched it the second time for this, there's so much symbolism. I have nine pages just Whoa. dealing with, like, symbolism and style in this movie, wow. but I couldn't figure it out. The Zoom, I told Craig, it's kind of like with the music and all the colors and everything's blue and then this zoom in on her face and then like this rap song with all this imagery over the opening credits like i can't figure out what movie i'm watching well miss nine pages of notes i think you should just take it over from here (laughs) it's just it's just lists of like this is blue that's also blue their walls blue her clothes are blue everything is blue and and not just blue but basically the same shade of blue like everything's dark blue and i have no idea why you talked about the zoom effect there's that they do a lot of that and they do a lot of turning the camera to 90 180 or 360 degrees like yeah. <laughs> there are oh yeah so- it made me dizzy <clears throat> it made me dizzy too there are so many shots that are the camera is on its side and it'll be interesting, like Ethan Hawke will bring Julia Roberts a, a glass of water in the morning in bed. And in the frame, the glass of water looks like it's turned on its side, but oh, whatever. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I it, know what you're it, talking about. Well, she's laying on her side, and so it's almost a little from her perspective, like as she wakes up. Right. And then it like will turn. And if you're like me and Craig, and you can't handle that kind of stuff, you feel really dizzy and disoriented. But I don't think... That's a mistake at all. And I looked up the blue, Craig. You said you didn't know why. No. Well, I got on so many Reddit threads. (laughs) (laughs) Reddit's got to figure it out. Yeah. So who knows? Like, whatever. But a lot of people said, like, blue. And when you Google, like, significance of the color blue, it's all, like, hope and peace and everything like that. And then the blue kind of changes as you go through the movie. And so... Everything is really, really blue. Every single person who leaves the beach and we haven't gotten to the beach yet, they're all wearing blue. I was trying to look for people not wearing blue. Every single person was wearing blue. And so I think in the beginning of the movie, they go on this vacation and they're hopeful. And, you know, she's she's really cynical, we know. And she says she hates people. But I think they're just sort of like, hey, we're going to reconnect with each other, sort of disconnect from the state of things and they're kind of hopeful and just looking to relax and everything is blue. And then it changes as the movie progresses. Well, I like the contrast between these two characters. I think that Ethan Hawke is totally me. (laughs) Oh my God. He's totally my husband too. (laughs) (laughs) And and Julia Roberts is, is, is totally big. I mean, like, uh, like the very cautious person. uh, uh, She seems a little more uptight. She seems, uh, I'm I'm describing Julia Roberts's character now. Probably there's a reason she hates people. She just like, it seems very critical maybe all the time. She explains it later and we may as well just explain it now. She, she says that, 
in her job, it's her job to read people and then sell them a bunch of shit they don't need. Mm. And she says, when you really inspect people that, oh my God, I'm totally jumping. This is way, way later in the the end. Uh, But I feel like it's, it explains her character. And I almost would have preferred to hear it earlier because I was just so irritated with like, stop being such a cunt. Like, (laughs) and, and, and there's another, like, there's another character who we'll get to in a second who constantly is calling her out on it. And ultimately she, she's like, yeah, I'm a bitch. Like I I get it. She didn't seem to mind actually being called out on it. Basically it comes down to, it's a little heavy handed. When you get to know people that well, you come to find that people suck. Like, mm. yeah. We're we're all horrible. We only care about ourselves. We treat each other horribly. We everything we just leave destruction in our wake and we're like, "Oh, it'll be fine." <laughs> so, so what? Who cares? Like, god, I can't believe I already jumped there, but I feel like that's kind of what the movie was telling us, but you don't know that along the way. I couldn't right. figure out what kind of movie this was. I didn't know anything about it going in, and that was good. And yeah. it also intrigued Alan. I'm like, I don't know. It's got Julia Roberts. It's like kind of a thriller. I don't know. So we watched it together. And all throughout at least the first half, I had suspicions of what it might be, but there were times when I was like, is it going to be super, is it supernatural? Is it going to be like a zombie movie? Mm-hmm. Is it, is it are like there aliens? Of, right. Are there aliens? Is it an epidemic? I couldn't figure it out. And that was part of the suspense that kept me intrigued. It sort of had shades of the happening that M night shot. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. Um, simply because it deals with this event that nobody knows how to deal with. And sort of the point of the movie is nobody knows how to deal with it. A lot of the films that are made about apocalyptic problems, it starts there. Okay, there's a big, there's some kind of disaster or something. uh, People are thrown into confusion. And there's one guy or one girl who, you know, takes control and takes charge. And the story revolves around that person and their struggles to survive. But, you know, I think the happening got a lot of flack just for being realistic. <laughs> it, it, it's almost essentially just a bunch of people stumbling around, not knowing what to do, and there's your movie. And to be honest, I think that's pretty reflective of how things would kind of be if something like this did happen, at least for a while, and at least for some of us. you know. And we Absolutely. see that contrast in the movie, too, later, I think. Yeah, that's a big part of it, too. Like, what would happen if some major event like this happened? We're skirting around. Well, no, I I want to get to, okay, so they go to this house, this house that they've rented, which is awesome. they intimate at some point is like a little bit over $2,000 a night. Or no, excuse, for the whole weekend, a little over $2,000 for the whole weekend. Uh, it is- yeah, right. I have stayed in many a Airbnb, and they are much smaller than that, and it still can cost almost $2,000. Exactly <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. This house is amazing. Yeah. Like... It is, it's, it's stunningly beautiful. It's, it's got like an atrium and a pool and a garden and, uh, it's very secluded, even though they're near a beach and everything seems great. The wife goes into town and gets groceries and sees mysterious Kevin Bacon buying lots of bottled water. (laughs) At the Blue Grocery Store. Oh, you're right. Was it it called the Blue Grocery Store? No. No, it just was No. (laughs) Everything was blue, all the sides. But the town they were in was called Comfort Point. Yeah, that was cute, right? Well, at first I thought they were leaving Comfort because it showed the street sign. And so I was like, oh, they're leaving their comfort zone. But they were going to (laughs) Comfort Point. Yeah, they were. That's funny. And, you know, it's like, I don't know if they're supposed to be rich. Obviously, they're well enough off to have a nice weekend like this, but they seem to have an apartment in the city, which is also expensive. So who knows? And But they're definitely they're definitely not middle class, middle class. They're upper middle class, if not higher than that, to be able to be out here in this thing. I feel like perhaps the house was still an upgrade even for them. Um, yeah, because at oh, some sure. point in the movie, at some point... And we'll get there, but she's kind of made some digs at these other characters we'll be introduced to. And I noticed that the second time I watched it, 
they mentioned like Ethan Hawke mentions the neighborhood they live in and he's like, oh, yeah, that's a really affordable place to live. Oh, that's my daughter right. is going to go there. So it's kind of like he pushed back a little bit like hmm, that's he true. Didn't... anyway, we don't know who those characters are yet. But... <laughs> but they, show, they show up in a second. But but OK, so everything's going great. Like the kids are swimming in the pool. Um, she goes and gets groceries. They're husband and wife and they have 15 minutes. So they bang and everything's great. And then they go to the beach. As soon as they get there, the daughter, Rose, I don't know this actress from anything else. Her name is Farrah McKenzie. She notices an like an oil tanker on the coastline uh, or, or the horizon, excuse me. And, you know, whatever. They go about their beach day. and But she keeps looking at it and she keeps saying, like, I think it's getting closer. Uh, and then they're all just, you know, sunbathing, sleeping, reading, whatever. And Julia Roberts happens to turn around and it's getting kind of alarmingly close and she wakes up her husband and he's like oh i'm sure it's gonna be i mean it'll stop you know it has to stop whatever it becomes very apparent that it's not gonna stop and it's coming right at them and they wake up the son uh whatever his name is archie archie they wake him up and they all get up and they run and i was at least glad that this movie was smart enough to have them run perpendicular to the boat yeah (laughs) right because what was that what was that dumb it was that ridley scott alien remake with Charlize theron where a thing was falling and she was just running right under the path of it yeah run to the side you dummy (laughs) so so they so they get out of the way like intelligent people but this thing totally beaches itself and that's a strange incident that they strangely then don't want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, they're all weirded out in the car. Like they're leaving, obviously. And then all of a sudden, Julia Roberts is like, ooh, Starbucks. <laughs> and then it's like, yeah. <laughs> She's like, let's get some coffee. I do. That was I, hilarious. I, I do feel like that's a commentary too, though, right? I mean, yeah. And, and we're so easily distracted. We right. are. And not just on these people, but just in general, all of us are kind of this way. And especially because we're so connected now, almost nothing surprises us anymore, right? Like, right. you hear about all day long, you'll hear about different things that are happening in different parts of the world. And all of it seems so fantastic for a while until none of it does. And so then if something like this happens to you, to you it is going to be crazy and strange, but Maybe we are just going to kind of end up going on about our day without giving it much more thought. Well, that's a total theme of the whole movie, too. It's just kind of like these big signs or things happen. And you're like, whoa, that was so weird. And then it's like, all right, back to our day. Right. (laughs) And somehow it's it's realistic. I mean, I kind of there was no point in this movie where I thought, oh, that's that's unrealistic. I just sort of feel like this is how a lot of people would act or at least these people would act because they are trying to get away, and so they are a bit unconnected. Now, we're all always connected, even when we're on vacation. We're trying to get online. We're getting on our laptops, or we're trying to at least use our phones just to do things. I thought it was funny. There's a point in the movie where Ethan Hawke's character mentions that I can't do anything. I, I'm used to using my phone for everything, and I don't have that now. Now I'm completely helpless. But because they're getting away uh, for vacation, they're in this unique situation where they don't really care. And they're, I mean, it's annoying. Yeah, but they're not like questioning. Why is the internet down? Why is the television service out? Plus, I guess they're in a different home, so. Right. You know. I, I found that to be realistic. Like, oh, well, mm-hmm. we're away from home. Maybe the Wi-Fi is bad. Maybe the phone service is bad. Like they're not in this. Like the daughter's irritated because she's been watching Friends and has gotten up to the season finale or the series finale. And, and it locked up uh, because yeah. of lost internet. as a parent, I could totally relate to this as a parent of a teen and a almost teen. I could totally relate to like, Hey, we just spent like all our money on this cool vacation place. And our kids being like, well, my life is ruined because there isn't internet. So, <laughs> 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 that, that felt very relatable. Yeah. There's one part where the daughter comes and wakes up the parents. Like you guys, the internet's down and the TV doesn't work. Get up, fix it. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was pretty funny too. Well, okay, she so- said she goes, she goes. I have anxiety about how this is going to end, and I thought, yeah, same about this movie. <laughs> you, me too. Right. I I also thought that it was weird that she had gotten through the entire season, her series of Friends, and didn't think it was weird when her mom was on it. Right. 
Chandler's pants. <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway, was Ethan Hawke on Friends? I don't remember. No, I probably don't not. know. I don't think so. <laughs> but Julia Roberts definitely was. That was an interesting <laughs> in-universe funny thing. But okay, so this thing, the whole thing's broken up into chapters. And this first chapter is called The House. And I, I think that it's still in this chapter. It's nighttime. This weird thing has happened. They go to bed. But then there's a knock on the door. The score behind all of this almost gave me a heart attack. The the score <laughs> is constantly telling you that something terrible is about to happen. Yeah, it's like through the whole movie. The mom and dad are still up and this is like another God, it just I was so anxious because I've been those people, not rich, but I've been I those saw, people like I saw you in this scene. Yeah, I, told <laughs> I, go, I said I called him and the reason I wanted him to watch it was because I needed someone to talk to about it and I watched it alone. And I said, Oh my god, Ethan Ock is so my husband and she is me, except I'm not I hope I'm not quite that bitchy and jaded, but her her distrust of people and just like always worried about the worst thing first was so me and so like she's they're just chatting in the kitchen and she's like did you hear that and that's so me and he's like no and he just keeps talking and it's just like <laughs> there is someone here and that that total that whole scene i said you'll know the scene craig you'll know when it's me and it's my husband <laughs> <laughs> and i did <laughs> and it just goes on through this whole scene this is exactly how it would play out in my house yeah so these people there's one difference between you and her in this scene that we yeah. will talk about but so there so somebody knocks on the door uh and it's the middle of the night it's like three in the morning or something like that so they're kind of scared and and like ethan hawk like grabs a sculpture <laughs> to me uses a weapon i don't know but um it's a very well dressed couple of people i i couldn't tell at first if it was a man and woman like in a romantic relationship but no there it's um Guy a father God. And daughter, both very, you know, good looking people. The the dad is played by Mahershala Ali. Mahershala and the, Ali, and he is very good looking. He is very good looking. I read that Denzel Washington was originally cast, but ended up dropping out. And I think I'm glad because I think, one, there would have been something jarring about having Denzel Washington show up at your doorstep. Well, Denzel Washington <laughs> and Julia Roberts together, especially, I don't know. I, I feel like it would have been too much. Um, this time. guy is really successful. Yeah. I think this guy's got Oh, a he's an Oscar Oscars. winner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two, two times. Yeah, and his daughter. Um, but she's immediately suspicious of them, which I get. Like, I'm cautious with people, too. But they say look there's a blackout in the city we came from the city we have not had the pleasure of meeting face to face i'm i'm gh gh scott george he's george that's how it reads in his email <laughs> forgive me i forgot see this is why i much prefer life before the internet because we would have spoken on the phone we'd recognize my voice and known that this is our house i'm sorry uh, this is our house. I'm the George you emailed back and forth with. No, I, I remember the name. I just... This is... This is your house. Like, that, like... Uh, she, oh, all of a sudden, I was why, like, she's racist. Why is she blatantly racist? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's just supposed to be that she hates everyone, but she allows race to be one of the things that she judges people by and they even have like they become friends later amanda and gh this is the julia roberts and this guy that just showed up they become friends later i have no idea why he shows her so much grace i think we're just supposed to believe that he's a genuinely good person because even the daughter is not having this racist nonsense right. and, and like, i love that she pushes back yeah. all the time and and at one point <clears throat> julia roberts is like um i'm sorry uh i just don't trust you and ruth is like hmm i wonder what it could be about us that would lead us not to, or lead you to right. not trust us and the dad Seriously, like he's just too genuinely good. He's like, no, Ruth, Ruth, no, no. Like he's just constantly trying to stop conflict, which well, 
good for him. Yeah, but I think also it's not just like he's a genuinely good guy. I think this is a very real thing that people of color just have to deal with constantly. And it's kind of like the whole thing where it's like we're going to teach our our black sons that, you know, it's like hands in the air. If police stop you, don't do anything. Like, I think it's something that he's probably become so accustomed to. Like, oh, we've always got to explain ourselves. People are just going to doubt. So you have to be pleasant. You can't get angry. And so I don't think it's just he's a nice guy. I think that was probably very purposeful. Yeah. And how I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Well, at one point he does say to them, you know, they're like the girl is is really saying we need to get them to leave. Uh, And he's saying, well, that's not going to happen if we scare them. (laughs) So he's doing everything in his power to keep that family calm and not scare them in any way, shape or form. And we're talking about them in the context of already knowing these characters and who they are ultimately. Right. This was a really tense part of the movie because. We don't know who these people are either. They say it's their house, but when she eventually, and it takes a while, when she eventually asks to see his ID, he's like, oh, uh, I must have lost it. Like, <laughs> I'm never going to believe this. But I love, yeah. I, we've seen a lot of uh, home invasion movies that start off this mm-hmm. way, right? <laughs> and, and I kept looking at Alan like, no, no, something, something's up, something's up, yeah. something's going yeah. on. I have seen too many stories about those Airbnb <laughs> killers. Like, that's where my mind would be. And so when they said that, and that would be where I say, oh, hell no, bye. And that's where Julia Roberts is. Like, she's like, we don't know these people. They are strangers. My children are sleeping down the hall. Like, yeah. I get it. I understand why she's trepidatious about it. It makes total sense. But they eventually end up because Ethan Hawke is like, oh, no, I'm sure they're nice. You know, why wouldn't we believe them? They seem like nice people. <laughs> Which is my husband again. And I would so be her like, can we talk in the other room, please? <laughs> <laughs> right. Pardon us for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Ethan Hawke lets them stay and they sleep downstairs in like what does he call it? The, the in-laws chambers or something. Eventually that bothers. There's a lot of stuff going on here. This movie, like we are probably going to get responses and be like, this is such a woke movie. It really is. I mean, if that's what, if you're defining woke as addressing issues and, and having a point of view, then yeah, this is a woke movie. <laughs> there, there's, there's a, you know, blatant racial issues. There are blatant environmental issues. There are blatant uh, technology things, political commentary. There's a, sh- oh, God, again, jumping ahead of myself, but there's a shady figure later on who shall not be named. Mm. That's clearly Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> so there and are it was produced by the Obamas. So. And it was produced by the Obamas. Another thing I I uh I was talking to Alan uh, and I was like, okay, so Julia Roberts agent is like, hey, Julia Roberts, do you want to be in a horror thriller? No. Produced by the Obamas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I saw her actually talk about this in an interview and she was like already connected to it. But she said, but then anyone who would listen to me, I'm like, hey, did you know that the Obamas are executive producing this? And it's based on a book that I would actually be really interested in reading because I think there's a lot of storytelling going on here that's very interesting. And a lot of times a story like this, I think, would be better told as a limited series. And I also don't typically particularly enjoy movies that are over two hours long but i think that this was just right i i think that they packed the storytelling into just i i feel like if it had been drawn out over eight hours it potentially could have gotten boring oh yeah um but i think that it needed the two hours and 20 minutes or whatever it is to get out as much as it could and i really liked it and we're still in the first chapter oh my god i know so this, so uh, they end up letting them stay, and everything's fine for a while. The only other interesting thing that's going on is that there are lots of deer. <laughs> <laughs> deer just keep showing up, like flocks of deer. This was I live in I live in rural Missouri. It's a very deer hunting place, and deer do sometimes 
travel in herds, but not like this. No, no, this <laughs> not is like hundreds of deer just staring at you from the hedges. Yeah. <laughs> so something is definitely weird going on. Okay, I do have a criticism about this movie now that you brought up the deer because I guess I got to give it a pass because we still don't know for sure, even by the end of the film, exactly what happened. But I cannot imagine a cataclysmic event that would happen where over the course of a day, nature starts to take over. <laughs> you know, I think... The movie explains it. It's a blink and you miss it thing. There's a point is where it? Ethan Hawke is in the car mm -hmm. and, and he's been listening to the radio, but it's just been static. Uh, or he's not been able to get anything. And then I think he even maybe gets out of the car. He I don't did. Know. He gets out of the car, so he doesn't get to hear it, but we do. And it says, whatever this is, I, they still can't identify it, but whatever it is, it has caused disturbances in the migration patterns of animals. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they're even sort of suggesting that there may be radiation in the air, and and that's like the animals are moving away, or they're sensing something. Oh, like radiation! That we know from movies that can explain anything. Okay, right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no criticism here anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, you still, it still doesn't make a. I don't understand what is happening. I don't understand because they also keep saying that the, the young daughter is the one that noticed all these deer. And she keeps saying, and the other later when flam a flock of flamingos <laughs> land, land in, in the, the pool, pool. <laughs> uh, Ruth also comes to both. The daughters come to the conclusion the animals are trying to tell us something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they know something and they're trying to warn us. Do they like what are they what are they warning you against? And and then there's a scene later we the story sequentially is very easy to explain, but I want to talk about these things as I think about them so I don't forget. There's a scene late in the movie where Ruth is in the woods near the house and the horde of deer surround her <laughs> and like their leader <laughs> comes right up to her face. And then Julia Roberts runs in and saves the day by screaming and scaring them all away. I was like, what? Is, I, maybe she's Snow White. I, I think that they want to like lead her to a magical land. And Alan was like, she just needs to start singing the song <laughs> well i didn't know them like are they warning or do are they hungry do they I've, want to eat the people what I, are the deer doing and we never find out it's played sinister though it's played sinister because it's and this the movie does this a couple times and i absolutely loved i loved this choice where it takes two events that are happening simultaneously and they're both equally intense and they're both equally building the score lets you know and it cuts back and forth between them and then they both resolve in exactly the same way more or less at exactly the same time i really liked that that was really cool and i can't think of too many movies where i've seen that happen although it's not uncommon i think uh this movie did it like three or four times and so because what was happening on the other end i don't remember exactly what it was but it was way more sinister than this oh it was the it was kind the, of the, the gun standoff the gun standoff I read the deer thing as equally sinister and potentially deadly. I didn't know, like, potentially deadly, yes, because deer are very powerful animals. Um, I would, you, you certainly don't want to tussle with one, especially males with antlers. I mean, they could gore you in a second, but it didn't seem like the deer were threatening them. Well, I, 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 I don't know if you're surrounded by any oh, wild yeah, no, animal. I would definitely be scared. I, I would, I would shit my pants. I would do the same thing that Julia Roberts did, which is smart. You know, make yourself bigger and loud and scare them away. They, they, they are deer are also very, they're skittish uh -huh. uh, and you can scare them away very easily. But also if they wanted to hurt that girl, why didn't they? Yeah. Well, I thought just turn back around and go back in that shed. Well, Jesus, that's true. Away from it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't stand there. I would try that first 
And then if I had to scare them, I would. But I would just be like, I'm going back inside. <laughs> well, I still don't understand it. I I did not get the impression that they had malicious intent. So I, I still don't understand what was going on there other than the movie tells us it affects their migration. Well, that's fine if it affects their migration, but these deer aren't migrating. They're all just hanging around this house. Yeah, that's that's again. I mean, that's like it's it seems to be more than migration being affected here. Right. All I know is that as soon as she came out and screamed and the deer ran away, deer ran away, I could breathe. And I was like, oh, OK, good. Yeah. They're not going to get shot. <laughs> Not yeah, the deer, right? but the people in the other scene. Yeah. The way the right, scene was right. played out, right? And and I, the CGI was pretty convincing, too. I have to give it credit where credit's due. You don't think they had trained deer? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I can't remember if I read it or if I watched some YouTube clip of an interview, but the director did talk about the deer as like... And the deer are part of the book, too. But he talked about liking how in the beginning, the deer, you know, first Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke see the deer. And they're like, oh, how sweet. And the husband's it's like a sign of hope. He, yeah. yeah. He's like he's like, it's a good omen. But then uh. he talks about this peaceful thing that people see and they think it's so cool. It kind of becomes menacing just yeah. because everything is becoming menacing because they don't yeah. know what the heck is going on. Well, and so he said he just really liked that imagery, too, of like once you don't know what is happening even the most peaceful things all of a sudden are like these ominous, menacing creatures. That's true. And they do play the deer kind of like a horror movie. There's a point yeah. where... Oh, oh, 100%. That great shot where she it's dark outside. She goes to the kitchen to like get uh, some coffee. And she flips on a couple different lights because, hey, she's in a new house. She doesn't know which one's which. One of the lights flips on the lights outside. And the minute she flips it on... <laughs> yeah. Behind her, you see just like six glowing eyes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, way more than that. Like six pairs, maybe. Six pairs like, like and, that, yeah. And it's as scary as if it was Ghostface. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was freaky. And then it comes off and you're like, no, no, no. Turn around and look at the deer. I'm not sure why, but that's how I felt. That's how it played. <laughs> it's so funny because I am so familiar with deer that that's exactly what it would look like. Their eyes do luminesce mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. when light is... Is somebody who's not familiar with deer would think, ah, they're like ghost demons. Right. That's that's really what they look like. <laughs> so you weren't menaced. I, I just thought the way that it oh, was. I, I thought it was super creepy. Right. It's just I, I've seen that in real life. I know that's a, a real thing. Well, it is cool how the director played those horror movie conventions in this way to freak us out, even though ultimately, you know, there was nothing, at least in many of these circumstances, to freak us out, at least in the traditional horror sense, like these things are going to get you. That happened multiple times in the movie where he played with these conventions of a horror movie to instill that horror and instill that dread without us getting the typical payoff of ah, now you're dead, you know, kind of thing. Yes, I I. I continue to assert that the score plays a large part of that like mm -hmm. all the time like i seriously i said okay i get it like out loud i said okay i get it i'm scared stop somebody die already uh, <laughs> something something okay. let us know what's happening but we skipped from like chapter one to the end chapter well right i was gonna say no we, we, so okay we got the house and then the other people show up and they let them stay and then the second chapter is called the curve and really the only thing they kind of split off the the kids go exploring in the woods and he gets bit by a tick or something then julia roberts and gh or whatever his name is um have a conversation now he's shady he clearly knows something it's here that he just says oh if you pay attention to things you notice that things happen in waves and when the curve starts to shift one way you know something's about to go down like well he talks about the market like that's what he does in his line of work and you can watch for signs leading up to some big event and so he knew something was kind of coming because there had been some events happening right so he knew something was coming he's still being very evasive and we find out later that he does know more than he's telling now, but he, he claims that he's not. And then there's a high pitched squealing that they all hear that is torturous to them. And Julia, her kids are out in the woods. So Julia Roberts just blindly runs into the woods to find her kids. And that's when the next chapter comes up and it's the sound, the noise, the noise. Is it the noise? Yeah. yeah. The noise. I, try, I tried so hard. <laughs> well, you didn't take uh, nine pages of notes, Craig. 
No, I did not. I I was just going to say it happens. And then she is majestically reunited with her kids. Like they're five feet away. And the son is like, at some point, oh man, I guess I should have covered my ears faster. Faster. I feel kind of funny now. (laughs) But he also just got bitten by a disgusting bug that was like burrowing into his ankle. That he acted like was no big deal. Like he picked out. It was inside his body. Uh huh. And he pulled out like a long, bloody string it was disgusting i just wrote gross bug like it was disgusting and then he just goes on like ew a bug was on me but no that bug was in you it was really disgusting (laughs) and then the husband tries to go into town but gets lost and disoriented and he comes across a woman on the highway and again i think that this is just commentary about how self-centered we are but at the same time oh, I, I thought it was so sad it clearly I thought it was really sad affected too. him and I think he this woman she she's non-English speaking uh she only speaks Spanish and he doesn't speak Spanish my Spanish is so poor the only thing that I could understand was please you're the first person I've seen all day and she was clearly asking for help. Something about an airplane. Yeah. Well, I have been doing my Spanish lessons every day for over a year now. And so I was really pleased with myself that I caught a few things. But yeah, she talked about she was lost. She needed to get back to her house. She couldn't find her family. I think she mentioned something about chemicals or she didn't know what was going on. Like something was really scaring her. And she he was the first person she'd seen all day. And she was like, please, please take me back to my house. I also didn't. That's one of my only criticisms about the movie. Where are all the other people? There would be tons of people. Even out in this isolated area. Mahershala's character said, you hardly ever see anybody else in this area at this time of year. So he kind of explained that kind of like this is like a summer home or something. I don't know. But but, the beach was um, full of people. I mean, I don't know. That beach could have been 20 miles down the road, but still. I don't know. Yeah, and the roads are all locked off. So he doesn't help her. He just leaves her on the side of the road. And then some big drone flies over. I had no idea what was going on. I I couldn't tell if it was like a swarm of insects or... I thought it was gas at first or something. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Like, that's. I thought either a swarm of insects or like crop dusting. Yeah, it's meant to be Something like that. It it turns out it was like flyers, like... Death to America in in, Arabic. Arabic. And so that happens to him. The The other dad uh, has gone off as well. I don't remember why, but he ends up on a beach where... <laughs> oh, he went to... So he went to his, like, a friend's right, house. Right, right. Who... By the beach. Yeah. He's like, he'll know. Like, he's kind of a... He's always prepared. He'll know what's going on kind of a thing. And so the, the house is all torn up and he, and he stumbles down to the beach and... I wasn't wearing my glasses. I rarely do when I'm just watching TV and Alan's like, did you see that? I was like, no. He's like, I think that was a bunch of bodies. Oh, yeah, it was obvious. He stumbles down there and like he sees a watch in the sand and he goes to pick it up. And Alan says that's going to be attached to an arm, which it totally is a disembodied arm. That freaks him out. And he starts looking around and realizes that he's surrounded by bodies. And Alan was like, so he just stumbled onto this beach littered with bodies. and Didn't notice anything but that watch. <laughs> right. That was it probably silly. Didn't smell real great. <laughs> and, and plane crashes, multiple plane crashes. And then another one crashes while he's there like he has to run away from it why are i okay fine. why on this I beach can buy, exactly <laughs> i can buy hackers hacking into systems and crashing airplanes that i can easily buy why they are all crashing on this beach that makes well, no sense to me i don't think they're all crashing on that beach but he talked about there was an airport there because his wife was gonna fly into one so i just you know i figured there are probably planes crashing path. All over the place, but they don't have communications anymore or people, you know, like they're not being guided. So everything's failing. And so because they're close to an airport, that's why these planes are crashing there. But I don't think it's all the planes. Think about how many planes are in the sky every day. I guess, but I wouldn't think that four of them would crash on the exact In the same, same place. That is a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Anyway, okay. So then they all come back and... You're, they, they don't know what's going on. And so the kids go to bed at like 
eight o'clock, I guess. <laughs> and, well, when and, the power is out, that's when you got you no do. internet, <laughs> I guess. Right. And, and the girl laments not being able to watch friends and the guy jerks it to pictures that he took of the other daughter, not his sister, <laughs> the other one. And no, he and didn't then, feel good. He couldn't do it. He yeah, he, he couldn't it. finish, but he, yeah, he didn't feel good. He could, <laughs> It's so funny that you say that because that's what I thought. I was like, you're not even going to finish. <laughs> like, you got started. I mean, anyway. Uh, and so then the adults are split up. Ethan Hawke is with the other daughter, Ruth. And Julia Roberts is with GH. And I thought that they both independently of one another were going to bang. <laughs> Right. (laughs) If I felt like that's where the movie was taking us, because Ethan Hawke and Ruth get stoned together and talk, and he confesses that uh, he left that woman helpless. But then Julia Roberts and the other guy have a a long conversation. Well, and and they're drunk. They're drinking the whole time. I wrote in my notes, "Mama drinks a lot." She does. And and Julia Roberts played drunk really well. Yeah, that's playing drunk is not easy. Not to do it convincingly. It wasn't over the top. Yeah. She no. just was like, it totally loosened her up. And it made sense for her character because she's so uptight uh-huh. that she probably does drink a lot to try to relax. Yeah. And she's like, I changed my mind. I like you. And he's like, yeah, I kind of found you pretty prickly at first, but you've grown on me. And so they're getting along. They're laughing. And then he starts telling her this story about how he's got this big client. He's like, I'm not going to tell you the name, but if I did, you'd totally know who it was. It's somebody who's into like high tech security and blah, blah, blah. Like there are several people that he could be talking about, but he's obviously talking about one of the billionaires like Elon Musk or Bezos or. Zuckerberg or whoever he's obviously talking about one of these guys and he says that he went to a party at one of their at at this guy's house and they got really drunk together and the guy was like oh I really like you I wish I could take you on vacation with me next year and he jokingly no he said where where are you going and the guy said oh just my annual meeting with the evil cabal that runs the world (laughs) (laughs) And, and then like he says that the guy telling the story, GH, says it very seriously. And then he starts laughing. He's like, oh, he was just kidding. And he makes jokes like this. Yeah. Yeah. And then Julia Roberts like, Haha, I'm going to grab another glass of wine. And he grabs her by the arm very ominously. <laughs> and, and he goes, and then. <laughs> I don't even remember what he said. It was just so <laughs> ominous. Well, he talked about, well, yeah, he was joking. But then, like. He called me right before all this crap started happening and I had to move money around for him, like a lot of right. money. And and he was getting out of town, out of America, I don't know. And he said, take care of yourself like he felt sorry for me. So that's how he knew something was going down. That's how he knew how to get out of the city. Yeah, he made the um, evil cabal joke back to him. And this time the guy didn't even laugh, he said. So it was yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Also, and we then... skipped right over the weird white lady dancing, and I just wrote that. And oh, I just no, wrote that. That, hap- that happens right now. That, yeah, that's... it is right now. But I think he, it's before she gets that mad. She she's like, I changed my mind. I don't like you anymore. And <laughs> so he's like, Well, come on, we'll lighten the mood. And he takes her down to his sex dungeon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> also well, known as library. He's a, <laughs> is he also a musician? They talk about. Or at least he's really into music because didn't he come? That's yeah. why he's dressed up. He came from like a, a symphony a, concert. A symphony. I think yeah. he came from the symphony. He was and like on the it, board of directors of the symphony. Or that's something. right. And, it, and it's also been established that she's big time into like R&B and rap and hip hop. And so he takes her downstairs and he's like, do you want to listen to some jazz? And she's like, seriously, I thought we were going to have fun. And she's like, oh, look, I found some records. He's like, no, those are my daughters. And she pulls something out. She's like, this is something a woman can properly dance to. And she puts it on and it's, I don't know. Oh, God, it was it was so popular in my high school days. I was right back there. Kristen was big into rap in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That was me in middle school. That's right. It's more R&B, though, yeah. She she would sometimes rap for me. (laughs) (laughs) All? That is so cute. That was my embarrassing white lady. Would you care to repeat that performance? I would not. Do it. All right. Well, I'll just tell you the song was too close by next. It was too close, yeah. 
Uh, no, no. Craig, well, in college, Craig, one of Craig's roommates had a huge, we went out, it was like freshman week at Truman and we were seeing his dorm room. And as soon as we walk in, there's this gigantic poster of Biggie Smalls. So I did a little dance that Biggie, Biggie, can't you see? Sometimes words just hypnotize me. Anyways. Nice. Keep going. He, he found, no, that's, that's about all I know. That was great. That was about it. No, oh, but yeah. the white lady dancing, whatever she was doing with her hands. Oh, <sighs> it was the Elaine dance from Seinfeld. Yes. And like, I read that later, but that's what I said. I'm like, oh my God, she's Elaine from Seinfeld. I that too. She, mm. she's just a terrible t- First of all, it's not a great song to dance to. It's, it's, no. a, it's like a little bit slow. And I, I felt like they were the the actor who plays GH was doing his best to be smooth, even though it was a really difficult song to dance. Well, yeah. and he was drunk. It, it made it's, sense uh, for like this uh, might be how you dance if you've been drinking a while and you think it looks good. Sure. And then they like embrace and like both of them are super horny for each other. But she's like, no, we're married. And he's like, yeah, OK. <laughs> I think she's more horny for him. True. <laughs> But but nothing happens. Nothing happens. But then they they all go to bed, and the daughter is like, "Don't trust them. Something is happening. It's happening right now, and it's it's just us. You can't trust people, especially white people." It's and too- they had tried to leave too. They decided yeah. they were going to go like to her sisters or something. Family, but then they the came back. Yeah. yeah, and I thought it was funny when the the daughter Mahershala's daughter was like. Why are we sleeping in our basement? For why did we let them back in? Why are we why? still sleeping in the basement? This is our house. Maybe yes. I can do the laundry later. Like yeah, and it's an excellent question. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's their house. It, talking about socioeconomic status, the, these people who own this house, they are way higher on the ladder than Julia Roberts's family. So it really. <laughs> You can't take race out of that equation. The daughter is totally right to say, why are we sleeping in the basement in our own house? Um, And when she said we can't trust people, especially white people, I was thinking, you know what? You're right. And and the dad should listen to her. And the very next day they wake up. The son is sick in the night. And when they wake up in the morning, his teeth are falling out. So the only thing they can think of is to go to... Kevin Bacon's house, who we haven't seen. This is the very end of the movie where there's a big standoff. He talks about how, yeah, this is, you know, I I consider it war. And they have a big standoff. And that's when the dad, G.H., explains. Because my primary client works in the defense sector. I spent a lot of time studying the cost-benefit analysis of military campaigns. There was one program in particular that terrified my client the most. A simple three-stage maneuver that could topple a country's government from within. First stage was isolation. Disable their communication and transportation. Make the target as deaf, dumb, and paralyzed as possible. Setting them up for the second stage. Synchronized chaos. Terrorize them with covert attacks and misinformation. Overwhelming their defense capabilities, leaving their weapon systems vulnerable to extremists in their own military. Without a clear enemy or motive, people would start turning on each other. Done successfully, the third stage would happen on its own. What's the third stage? A coup d'etat. Civil war. Collapse. This program was considered the most cost-effective way to destabilize a country. Because if the target nation was dysfunctional enough, it would, in essence, do the work for you. So that's the big plan. And so then the the daughter, Ruth, has run away because she's so upset that she can't see the end of Friends. Julia Roberts and Ruth are out looking for her. That's when they have the big deer confrontation. There's the big standoff with Kevin Bacon. um, And then Kevin Bacon's a contractor. And one of his friends had recently done a job for one of GH's neighbors that they did without permits off the books. And he said, 
I can't be for sure, but I would bet money that that's like a fallout shelter or a safe room or whatever. So um, Julia Roberts and the and Ruth are in the forest looking for Rose, and they see across the bay that New York is in flames. Then we we see that Rose has found this other house and we hear Julia Roberts calling for her outside. So we know they're close. GH has already said to Ethan Hawke, we've got to get to that compound. So we know they're all going to end up there. But the way that the movie ends is Rose goes down into the compound and it's amazing. It's like a rich person's fallout shelter. shelter. Yeah. Right. And it's got everything, including an incredible library of DVDs featuring Buffy. all of the seasons of Buffy. <laughs> Which we're all learning friend. is absolutely necessary. Don't throw away your DVDs because these streaming services will take things from you and you'll they never will. get them They'll back. Them. That's right. Yep. Keep them. I've got all mine in boxes. And she puts in the last disc. And oh my God, Alan said, how many times did we watch these discs? There were years. There were years when we didn't have cable and we just put those discs on rotation 24 seven. And that's why Kristen and Alan have the entire series of friends memorized. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what a fitting ending. I, I think other people have complained about the ending. Uh, I mean, aside from explaining everything and kind of going there with the movie, it's just that, you know, it's it. In some ways, it's fitting. In some ways, it's uplifting because we get the friends music at the end. But in other ways, it's kind of cynical. Like the first thing that this girl wants to do is just finish her series <laughs> and finally see how Friends ends. We want to know she, how the world is going to end. The name of the Friends episode is the last one. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just kind of funny. That's the thing. Like my mom watched it at the same time as me and she finished it about 15 minutes before I did. And so she called and she said, call me when you're done. And I called her and she said, what did you think of the ending? And I said, ah. and she said, I hate it. I thought it was so stupid. And I said, how did you want it to end? What did you think was going to happen? This this was not something that you could wrap up in a yeah. little bow. Yeah. I mean, the first time I watched it, I think I told you. I think I texted you best and worst ending ever. Yeah. Like, because you want to know what's going to happen, but also it was so perfect. And it had been building since the very first scene where the daughter's iPad stops working in the car. And mm-hmm. the very first scene on that last episode, the part four we didn't talk about is it, the, it's called the flood, which I, you know, this whole movie, if you ever do rewatch it, it's, full of symbolism but it was kind of like yeah they've got to get to the ark like this is like Uh. the biblical story like the world has to be cleansed and start over and she finds it like she's like i'm tired of waiting she references this west wing um reference which also i have all of those episodes memorized as well the painting behind them in the bedroom keeps changing it's like more and more water right waves and stuff it took me a while to notice that the paintings in the living room changed three times too and i I still don't really know that symbolism. It's the painting gets a little more chaotic, but also I noticed the final painting in the living room. It's always black and white, but the black and white ratio is more even, which I wondered if that had kind of a, a racial undertone as well. But yeah, those paintings changed like at least three times. And then the waves uh, painting in the bedroom changed as well. There's so much to see if you do rewatch it. I don't know that I would rewatch it right nah. back to back like I ended up doing because that was a lot, but it's filled with stuff. I liked it. I don't think it's going to be everyone's cup of tea because it doesn't wrap everything up in a nice little bubble. But I did feel like it was a more or less accurate representation of what might happen, at least to some people, you know, in an event like this in a certain circumstance. So it felt real realistic. And it felt like the kind of movie that everybody kind of needs to see, because I think he's right. It seems like Aldous Huxley had the better bead on how we were all going to mess ourselves up, you know, as a society in that we're all just going to be so distracted by technology and we're yeah. going to be so plugged in and so dependent on it that all somebody needs to do is sow confusion and distrust. And e- you know? Yeah, Ethan Hawke has that. You mentioned it before, but he says he's so reliant on everything that he's a useless man. And I, I feel that. Like, if we were suddenly to lose all of our technology, think about, you know, we have no way of communicating. I, I, I was telling Alan, like, I, I couldn't even call my parents who live five miles down the road we we wouldn't know what to do what would you do and there's there's no money because money is all digital now it would just be absolute chaos 
we would have no memories. All of our photographs and videos are digital. If, if that's gone, it's just gone. So I, I do think that there are some really interesting warnings, and I did ultimately enjoy it. The, the ending, I liked it for what it was because I can't imagine how else I would have preferred it to end. I think they do make it. Like like you said, everyone is headed there, and then like if if you go back to all the blue, like when the screen turns on, she's just flooded in the blue light from the TV, and I think that's just kind of like us. We're back to this hopeful mm. ending. Like they're listening, they're ending up where they need to be. They're gonna something's gonna happen. And you mentioned um, Brave New World, Aldous Huxley. Did you notice that the sign hanging off of his the bunker house? Yeah, the Huxleys. The yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I liked all those odds to things. It was cool. Yeah. Filled with stuff. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for recommending this movie to Craig and Craig for recommending it to me. <laughs> it was so great to have you back on the podcast. It's been a while. And I hope this. Yeah, is, thanks. We'll have you back this on later this year, maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> well, I hope that ends on a hopeful note because, uh, you know, we're hopeful for the new year and uh, we just hope that something like this doesn't happen. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much, Kristen, for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. Just search us online, Two Guys in a Chainsaw Podcast. Uh, leave us a note on any one of our things there. Drop us a voice message. There's a link from our website to do that. And uh, consider our Patreon page, patreon.com slash chainsaw podcast. Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Craig. And, oh, you're and I'm the sister. <laughs> <laughs> with Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Ah.